open the Word of God this morning to Acts chapter 15 for an opening passage of Scripture in wanting to bring you introductory verses about David. There's a lot of different verses in the Bible about him, and so today will be a little, this morning will be a little different in the verse that I want to introduce our theme for today. There's nearly 1,000 references to David in the Bible. No one else comes close. He lived 3,000 years ago, and so we are quite removed from him in time, and yet the passage that I'm about to read to you tells us that what we're doing right now is connected to David by the words that the Holy Spirit chose to use. If you look up in a Google search box about church councils, you're going to be told about the councils that the Roman Catholic Church has held over the years, and the first ones are going to be in the fourth century. But there were church councils that were being held while the apostles were still alive. And here's the big church council that took place in Jerusalem, you know, in maybe 50 A.D. And the issue here is those Jewish legalists coming out of Jerusalem that were teaching that you had to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised in order to be saved. And so the apostle Paul and Barnabas head from Antioch of Syria, 300 miles south, to Jerusalem, and the whole church is brought together in the way of the apostles and the elders to consider the issue of whether the law of Moses applies to converted Gentiles or not. And if you read Acts chapter 15, you find out that Peter explains that the Lord made choice by him that the first Gentiles would hear the preaching of the gospel, namely the household of Cornelius, and that's around verses 7 and 8. And then in verse 12, we have Paul and Barnabas declaring what things the Lord had done through them with Gentiles in their preaching trip. Then James, we believe James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, takes up here and settles this particular council by quoting Amos and explaining it this way. Verse 13, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that's Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Yes. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. And James went on to explain, let's send a letter to the Gentiles and tell them that they can ignore these Jewish legalist teachers that are coming out of Jerusalem. We don't care what city they're coming from or how well known they might be or what educational accomplishments they have. This is the word of the Lord by the Holy Spirit. Let's send it to them and comfort them that they only need to worry about these four little things and they're rather small in comparison to what the Jews had wanted to lay on converted Gentiles. Now, this passage says that God was going to raise up again the tabernacle of David. That's the household of David. That's the kingdom of David. He's going to raise it up again. And Gentiles are going to be part of it. And we are part of the kingdom of David today. Right. 
because God has raised it up. Now, this passage is considered by them to be their most important passage for dispensationalism, that this passage describes some future millennial kingdom of Jews' preeminence headquartered in Jerusalem. And when you look at it, it says in verse 16, after this, I will return. I will return. What tense of a verb is that? Future, future tense. I will return. And will build again. That's future tense. I will build again the ruins thereof. Future. I will set it up. Future tense. Oh, this is so simple. Thank you, Lord, for making things so simple to us. They say that this is their most important passage to establish a future millennial kingdom of Jewish supremacy on earth, what's called the millennial kingdom. The only reason it's in the future tense is because the apostle James is quoting from the prophet Amos who wrote it 500 B.C. before this event. But James is quoting it because this is the fulfillment of it. The conversion of the Gentiles was fulfilling the building up of the tabernacle of David under the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sits on the throne of that kingdom and sits on that throne at this very hour. Right here, young men and young women, don't forget this passage. This passage was fulfilled right then at this point with the conversion of the Gentiles. It was in the future tense because Amos wrote it in 500 B.C. And James is quoting him accurately. James doesn't quote him and change the verb tenses, so it's still future tense. So when we read in verse 16, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. That's because the Lord had allowed, through chastening and judgment of that nation, for the scepter to appear to have departed from the line of David because there were now impostors ruling over Israel in the form of Herod the Great and other appointees of the Roman government. But the line, the genealogy from David was still proceeding. As you can read in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, the Lord Jesus Christ was of the seed of David by two different measures, through his mother and through his father, and he was the king of Israel. And Pilate understood enough at least to put that on the cross of Calvary. So we today, though 3,000 years later, are part of the tabernacle of David. We're part of the kingdom of David, also called the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the son of David. And so I use this verse to remind us today, though 3,000 years separated, from David, that we're part of his kingdom. And why not pick David? Because David expanded the boundaries of Israel to the largest extent. He was the greatest king they had. He was the measure of all other kings. He's the father of the Lord Jesus Christ in certain respects. And we can take thanksgiving and praise and appreciation today for the fact that we're part of that kingdom and his son, Jesus Christ sits on the throne of that kingdom and we're worshiping him here in this outpost of the kingdom as was prayed a few minutes ago. This is our passage. It's about us right now. It's not about some future millennial kingdom. We're in the gospel millennium right now. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord God of heaven, we thank thee for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the son of David, the root of Jesse, the ensign of the people to whom we have flocked. And we have come together as a flock this day, O Lord, the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee that he is the good shepherd and the great shepherd. We thank thee, Lord of heaven and earth, that he is the apostle and high priest of our profession. We thank thee, Lord, that he is the bishop of our souls. He is the head of this church and the foundation of it. He is our king, the blessed and only potentate, king of kings and Lord of lords. We thank thee for the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, that you have given us an understanding of this simple passage that Amos prophesied of the conversion of the Gentiles. James and Peter and Paul and Barnabas observed that conversion, and we are in the latter days of it. And we're thankful to be part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Bless us this day. Heavenly Father, we swear allegiance again by our assembly to thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for us. He lives for us perpetually at thy right hand. And we give him our lives as a living sacrifice this day and whatever days you will give us in this world. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our spiritual slothfulness. Forgive us the coldness of our hearts. Forgive us the distraction of our minds. And help us to gird up the loins of our minds and to set our affection on things above that we might rejoice in Thee, our Lord and Jesus Christ, our Savior. Heavenly Father, what we pray for ourselves and what has already been prayed this morning for ourselves, we pray as well for others around the world. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for America. We thank Thee for our rulers, and we pray for them, that You will protect them, sustain them, lead them, and guide them, And Heavenly Father, cause them to pass and to enforce legislation that would be for the benefit of your people. Forgive this nation its terrible and wicked sins. Father in heaven, we thank thee for every good thing that comes from thy hand. We are blessed abundantly in things spiritual and things natural. And we thank thee for every one of those things. O Lord of heaven, we thank thee for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank Thee that Thou hast worked in us both to will and to do of Your good pleasure. Now teach us this day, Heavenly Father, by the man after Your own heart, some of his character traits, that we might be more pleasing in Thy sight and that You might delight in us as You delighted in Him. Help us with fear and trembling to work out that salvation that You have worked into us. We thank Thee for the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray and we thank Thee for His personal, perpetual presence and power with us so that we can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengtheneth us. Now, Lord, help us to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and to put on those traits that would please Thee and men more perfectly. Let us find loving favor in thy sight and in their sight. Now be with us. Lord, bless our singing. Bless our praying. Bless the psalm that's to be presented to us, the preaching and the hearing, and all that we shall do, Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David. Amen.